Welcome to The Fabric, a podcast from Lobby Capital. In this podcast, we explore the people we back, the people we work with, and those we partner with in hopes of better understanding what leads to successful entrepreneurship. Recognizing there is no single recipe or list of ingredients in successful entrepreneurs, but instead a combination of past experiences, relationships, serendipity, and personal characteristics that shape and influence their achievements. So through our conversations, we will dissect various case studies in hopes of unraveling the fabric of successful entrepreneurs. Welcome to The Fabric, a podcast by Lobby Capital. I'm your host, Buddy Arnheim, a partner and co-founder of Lobby Capital. Today, we have the enormous pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Ez Fayik, the founder and CEO of one of our portfolio companies, X. And I have been really looking forward to this podcast. Uh, last night, I was sharing with our producer, uh, Matteo Bava, on the line here that we had a CEO dinner at my home and uh, we had many of the Lobby Capital CEOs in attendance and Ez got the prize for coming the furthest because Ez originates and lives in Cairo, Egypt. So Ez, welcome to The Fabric. Thank you, thank you, bud. Thank you for having me today. Give us an overview of X, and then we're gonna come back and talk about you and then we'll finish up in more detail about X. To start, let me first explain what does it mean X. So Waffer in Arabic means save, and X refer to what people are gonna save when they pass through us. Can be a merchant or customer, both saving by dealing with X. So it's a performance solution uh, where we offer merchants a pay per sale. So instead of paying per click or per impression, we help them to generate more orders and in a performance solution that's uh, profitable for everyone. And the same for consumer, all they have to do is to pass by X whenever they are going to shop. They're going to shop from Amazon, they're going to reserve an hotel from booking.com. So they just go on X first, they click shop now or book now and they get redirected and they get cash on every transaction and we transfer this cash to them four times a year. Fantastic, fantastic. And right now the service is up and running in? We are based in Egypt, operating from Egypt. Most of our business, like 75%, I would say now from Egypt, but we also have customers from UAE, in Dubai, uh, from Saudi Arabia, from all the region. And our focus is mainly to expand in the region during the next few years. So since we have seen already market in Saudi Arabia, so we're planning to go to Saudi next year. So fantastic. We are going to delve deeply into MENA and Egypt and the market there. But before we get there, let's turn the time machine back a little bit and find out a little bit more about Az. So Az, tell us, you grew up in Egypt. Yeah, born and raised in Cairo. And is the family multi-generational Egyptian? Do you know yeah, your family's yeah. my, history? My father also has been like born and raised in, in Egypt. Uh, the grandparents weren't in Cairo. They moved to Cairo. Ah. So like starting my father, uh, they're in Cairo. And have you lived in Cairo your whole life? I spent a few years abroad, either for study or for work. But uh, most of my life, yes, in Egypt, in Cairo. I was in, I was in Dubai for, uh, like, I finished my university. I was I studied French law between Egypt and uh, Lyon in France. And then I moved to Dubai after that to work for the French Trade Commission, which is the economic department of the French embassy, where we help business actually establish themselves in the GCC uh, area. So I spent three years in Dubai. Yeah. And then I was back to Cairo to start my journey as an entrepreneur. Okay, so growing up in Cairo, in essentially the 90s, right? That was right. your time frame. What was schooling like? What was it like to sort of 
play outside in the neighborhood? What were your parents doing? Maybe fill us in on, okay, on that. Okay. So, um, yeah, my father was an engineer. He worked for the army in Egypt for several years. So he was always traveling outside of Cairo. So wow. we were basically uh, spending the summer with my father where we go and live, uh, stay where he is. And, and most of the winter, he was just coming for a weekend. So he was mainly raised by our mom. So he was on the road a lot. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And was he stationed mostly in and around Egypt or anywhere in the world? No, in Egypt. In Egypt, in Egypt yeah. Yeah, he was uh, sometimes in uh, Suez, which is around the canal yeah. in, uh, in the north, sometimes in, in the south. But he was always an engineer at uh, the army. Neat. Uh, my mother, uh, she graduated from the American University in Cairo and she studied management, but she left this because of my father was always away and she raised us. She had to manage you, yeah, right? Yeah, I, exactly. That's the hardest job. Being raised in Egypt is, of course, different from being raised in the US. So um, to give you an idea, Egypt is big and we have different uh, communities and every community is living by themselves somehow. So for my community, we're mainly studying at private school because that's where you learn languages. Public school in Egypt are not like public school in the US. I was always playing football uh, since uh, being very young. In, uh, in For those on the audience, that's actually soccer. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no. we, we, we call soccer football in Egypt. <laughs> I know here football is American The whole football. world calls it yeah. football, except I'm American. Yeah. <laughs> So I was playing soccer my whole life, even uh, like I represented the, the national team of Egypt uh, for some time. Also. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you were super athletic growing yeah, up. Yeah, I was till the third year of my university. I had five days training a week. If we're speaking about school, so we had either French school, German school or English schools. That's for the private sector. So I was in French school. If we speak about like my family. It was an extended family or just you and your sisters? I was raised by my mom, by my father sometimes, and yep. also by my grandparents. My grandfather, he was also working in the police in Egypt. Wow. I have my other grandfather who was a lawyer. And uh, actually, that's why I actually loved law. And we were very close. He was the influence. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk about sort of entrepreneurship. Was that something that you were exposed to growing up? You know, what do you think was the insemination of this entrepreneurial bug that okay. you had? When I was studying law I was always doing training in legal firms and every time I receive a contract they asking me to find the laws and write uh, and I always was more concerned by the business side of the contract trying to know who is making money and how is he making this money so I was more into business not entrepreneurship at right. the beginning after two years uh, of uh, training within legal firms I decided that this is not for me yeah. I need to be in the core business in the business itself but at that time I was just looking for business so um, as soon as I finished my uh, university of studying law I went to Dubai uh, where I worked into business mainly so I was exposed to uh, different ideas, a lot of entrepreneurs that are coming, trying to penetrate the market. So I was always working with them, studying the product, trying to do the job for them. And many of them tried to hire me in Dubai. Mainly because you were there and you spoke their language and you had good business sense. Exactly. And, yeah. and also like while doing the, we call it a mission at the time, we're the Chamber of Commerce of uh, any place in France. They send us a group of companies and we do a mission for them, which is uh, there are different Introduce types of- Introduce them to people, exactly. show them the neighborhoods. Yeah, it used to call tests to love which is mean testing the offering. Okay. So first thing we test if there is demand for this offer or no, then we invite them to come and we go with them for uh, several meetings and try to discuss uh, things and maybe closing contracts sometimes. And uh, I, I usually was very interested to learn about new business during the course every week. I have a new business explaining to me everything about his business. He wants me to uh, understand it so I can test it. And this was very interesting for me. At that time, I decided to go back to Egypt. What years were these? Were there uh, it was 2008. 
and I went back just before the revolution that right. happened in Egypt. Yeah, so I went back to Egypt. What actually encouraged me to go that one of the French companies asked me to go to Egypt and do the same thing for me, and he's going to pay me a monthly salary, and the salary was good. So I said, okay, why not? Should I go now? Start. And also. were you ready to go back to Egypt at that point? Yeah, yeah. yeah I wanted to go back to Egypt. Uh, like I spent some time in UAE, and I felt this is not where I'm going to, you know, live the rest of right. my life. I wanted to start something in the Egypt mainly. Country, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I went back to Egypt and I started a traditional business. I didn't know still about entrepreneurship. I just this is 2010. This is right before the revolution. I launched my company. I got two months payments from the French company and then the revolution happened and everything wow. stopped. At so that it was back. the fall yeah. of 2010. Yeah. 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 At that time, I found a job at a leasing company till, you know, things get better. So I started to work in a leasing company doing sales. And leasing in Egypt is financial lease, not uh, like it's, it's giving money mainly like uh, similar to banks. Okay. And then I had one project. I was working as a consultant in Egypt to other companies similar to what I was doing in Dubai. And I has one Egyptian company. It's one of the biggest pharmacies chain in Egypt. They asked me to create for them a turnkey project on professionally used cosmetics. So I did that. I, I collected the first brand we can start with from France and from other parts in the US. And we, I said, this is the plan. We, they want to compete mainly with L'Oreal. And, and this, they were only in Egypt, L'Oreal and another company called Chorskov mm-hmm. and there is no other competition and they wanted to create a vehicle or a company that can compete on this level so we prepared everything and then the revolution happened so they didn't take it so I took this project and did it myself so I did like at the same time working in a leasing company and uh, launching yeah, a professional cosmetics company we, we did very well with the cosmetics company it became very well known in Egypt like all beauty salons and spas know uh, us know the company know the, my name know everything wow. it went very well at that time that's the time where I got married I bought my house like I even got my first kid so all this was from the last job and while working on this job that's when I started to look at people fundraising what's happening trying to understand that it needs to be a tech enabled product and so while working in the cosmetics I launched my first website of it's called Beauty Spot and it was a website that helped uh, actually professional selling these same products yeah but, but only for professional use so people ah. should go register themselves as a saloon or as a spa okay. and then they get the approval so they can place their orders online and this was my first uh, relation with the tech side of, of business I, I loved it because I found that you are in control of everything you see can see everything you can do analysis you can Right. And this you are missing that traditional business. Yeah. So I, th- that's when I started to love to have something tech. And at the same time, that's when I learned about fundraising. And I said, I need to go into this direction. Um, at that time, actually, also what forced me to do this is that new laws went out in Egypt that actually stopped us from importing due to the foreign currency problem, due to the revolution and so on. So there was a problem. Talk in- a little bit about that stuff, because that has a huge influence on business. And yet, I think a lot of us are unfamiliar with sort of what goes on there. So there was concerns about local currency leaving the country. Yeah, and yeah. so Ma- Egypt- mainly foreign currency, like they have a reserve of US dollar in the country. Right. And when a lot of companies are importing, they, so they have to prepare for them the dollars they need. And uh, due to the high demand on dollars and the, due to that Egypt at the time has almost no exportation at all, it's not exporting anything. So there was a gap. And for this, what they did is that they created some laws to stop us from importing, especially small traders. So laws was okay for uh, big, big companies that are investing billions, but for smaller importers, it was a little bit complicated. So, and was that directly impacting you because you yeah. importing these very I, I tried to go against the idea for a few months and I, I lost a lot of money like I tried to import somehow and with different ways and it was not working transferring the money from Dubai and then bringing the goods so I lost a lot of money on these trials and that's when actually I decided I said okay I'm losing a lot of money why should I go against the direction that right. everyone is going in maybe I can fit in the direction and this will help me better like I started 
this business in 2011, from 2011 till 2016, we did extremely well to the point that actually when we left this business, we were contacted again by the saloons and the assets. Why did you leave the business? We want you back. You know, we are happy with the service and the quality we're offering. And we, because also we used to bring trainers from abroad, training the stuff, how to use the products, right. how to offer the service. So we were working, actually, we had a mission on enhancing the level of the service within the country. We started also with Egypt only, then we had Saudi also and UAE, uh, where we take brands from France, we, we do very good in Egypt, and we asked them, can we extend our contract to other countries? Smart. And we found sub-distributors over there, so it was going uh, really, really well. And then we sold some of these brands, when, as I explained to you, like new laws uh, went out, we were not able to import anymore. And I had a trip also to the U.S. back then, 2016. I had uh, some meetings with the American companies I represented at the time to see how can we do business out of Egypt because it was hard to import in Egypt, as I told you. And I was also looking for something new. And that's actually one of the privileges of being in, in Egypt, that you can copy things from other countries, localize it to your country, and make it work. This is one of the things that I, I always see as like, in, if you want to be an entrepreneur in, in the US, it's harder than in Egypt because everything is already there. So you need to invent something completely new <laughs> so you can succeed. But in Egypt, you can always do a reference, see something that's already working abroad. And, and adapt and, it. And then see, can this be adapted to your country? Can you localize it somehow? And if yes, so why not? And, and you always have a reference that you can check and you can see how they went, how they worked. Yeah, how yeah. they overcame these Exactly, problems. exactly. Like then in 2016, I was trying everything I'm seeing. So at that time, I saw Yelp. I loved Yelp. I wanted to do Yelp in mm. Egypt. And then I saw something else, something. I, I was checking everything. I, everything I tried, I product, I purchased, a service that I bought. It was mainly to try see how this can work in Egypt. Can it be beneficial for my country? And of course, for myself. And then from here, I saw Ebates. So Ebates at the time had um, ads in TV, had uh, ads everywhere. And I saw the service. I said, I didn't understand at the time I was there, like how, how they're giving free money. And I started to do my research while still in the US and found something called affiliate programs. I understood the performance marketing. And I reached out even to Kevin Johnson back then in 2016. He was the CEO of... Uh, so let me pause here for the audience. So Ebates was a portfolio company of our predecessor fund, August Capital. And Kevin Johnson was the CEO of Ebates who is a venture partner with us here and now serves on the X board with us. Yeah. You know, you stumbled upon Ebates, you learned about the business, you liked it, you thought it had applicability. I, I tried it even, I remember like I bought something from Amazon, I got cash back and then uh, I was trying the service more than uh, using it. I really love the way, you know, they're doing the service. I said, we miss this in Egypt. I, I don't want only to bring this to Egypt, but I want to bring it with the same quality. Yeah. And that's when I spoke to Kevin Johnson in 2016. And this was one of the very important lessons for me because I just texted him over LinkedIn and he responded back. This and is amazing. So, you know, we, we talk about the courage of entrepreneurship, of entrepreneurs and sort of those seminal moments in a person's career that really have changed the direction. So here you are, you're cold calling Kevin. You have no prior relationships with him whatsoever. And you're not even local. Like, yeah. And yeah. You, so you reach out to Kevin. Two times. The first time he didn't respond. The second time he responded. And as I told you, this was a very important lesson for me because now that's what I'm doing. Like when young people... Did you say something witty to him? Did you say something I, funny? Did you? How did you get no, through I, I, his... You know, I, I wasn't experienced at the time and my English wasn't as good as today. It was even worse. So I just said, we are a group of young people coming from MENA region and we love the idea. We want to take it to Egypt. Yeah. Can we take the name? Can we work together on this? And that was my main request. Great. Yeah. So um, at that time, they were uh, selling the company, doing exit and selling it to Rakuten. Yep. So he was extremely busy. So what he did, he, like he redirected me to a colleague, Ken Hirschman, the name, yeah. 
in the first call he said we are a group of people that has the money and want to do the business so he said okay we don't care about the money the money is the easiest thing to get if we want to open in a new country given the success they already have so they said what we care about is can you build the right team can you retain this team can you grow fast so like he gave me some points that mm-hmm. they care about and he told me that okay we did a lot of money from this business already so I'm not going to be shy I'm going to tell you like tricks and things we learned and he gave me like a roadmap of how Ebates became that successful wow I took this roadmap I went back to my friends who invested with me at the company at that time. And they said, okay, I, I like the mission. I already love the service. I love the quality. I want to take this here. So I'm willing to do this mission on my own for now. We launched Wolf4X Egypt in 2018. 2018. I've been working in this ways on the preparation, collecting money. And at the same time, I had my old uh, company still working, right, so trying to sell brands. Yeah, it wasn't easy at the beginning because no one know what cashback even means. So I was saying uh, we're doing cashback and see what cashback means. So cashback is actually this and that and you explain everything. And people sometimes feel it's too good to be true, like free money. It doesn't make sense. Also, merchants didn't see a lot how this can help them. So at the beginning, it wasn't easy. Uh, what helped? does that at the time there was a player in the market called Sook.com. This has been acquired by Amazon a few years ago. So Sook.com, they already had an affiliate program. Sook, it's, it's S-O-U-Q. And what does that mean? Sook is a market in Arabic. Okay. It means market. Market. So there was Sook.com at the time. It was uh, present in Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab of Emirates. And they had an affiliate program in place, so we can work directly with them. There was a problem in the tracking. They don't allow us to track the sub-IDs. We tried a little bit with them with few meetings. They allowed us to do this. And that's how we started to build customers' numbers that actually convinced other brands to join us and, and started from here. And we started so, to yeah. have one brand, two, and today we have 400 brands. Today we have also our technology for tracking. It's called Woffer Ad. Uh, and actually this is for the merchants that don't have affiliate program in place. So we create everything for them end-to-end and we offer them the cashback on Woffer as well it's great I, there's so much i want to unpack in what you just said so i'm going to go back a little bit in time you know the first thing i want to sort of delve into is you know you did leave dubai at sort of a really interesting time in the mina region right i guess the first question did you have any sense of that such a big change was coming was there any sense at all no that, that no. was going to happen no, like like what, what was driving me to do this is that first of all i was working very good in uh, in dubai at the same time i felt that i'm building experience that doesn't really have value in asia because it counts on the, your context you're building a lot right. of context in new local context yeah local context so now i can help anyone that wants to go to UAE but if someone wants to go to Egypt I can't do the same and you knew you wanted to get home yeah I, I knew that this is not the place I want to spend the rest right. of my life yeah like uh, I, I'm coming from a seven thousand years uh, country that has right. a lot of culture and that has a lot of traditions and the way it's amazing place to be in and it's very professional very clean everything's perfect but it's not for me and so so you come back to Egypt and a couple months later there's this, yeah this Arab yeah. Spring what was it like what, what you know for those of us from the outside that <laughs> You know, only get to see little snippets in the media of which, you know, a lot of us are skeptical it's even accurate. Yeah. Like, what was it like to be on the ground there and having just come home? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was crazy. Like, uh, first, let me tell you that I wasn't aware there's a revolution that's happening. I'm not really into politics. Right. So this day I, I had a dog back then. I was going with my dog for a walk and then I found people protesting and walking in the streets and there was, what's happening? I don't, I don't even know. And they said, most probably from my past experience, this will end up and I will go home and yeah. that's it. Yep. And then I kept walking with my dog. I finished the, the day. I went back home and then I opened TV. I found that there is a revolution that happened. The oh. police couldn't actually face them. Uh, things are growing. And if you 
remember there was an Egyptian, he's now in the US called Wael Ghunayim, the one who's worked on Facebook at the time, who generated this. He came to Egypt at this day, and there was Muhammad al-Baradai who came also to Egypt on that right. day. Yeah. So it was like uh, something is happening. We were extremely happy at that time because First of all, we don't understand politics. Second, uh, whenever we, we travel to other countries, we see that we are behind. Like there's things that can be done still. And also with the, all the presidents of all the, the countries starting to speak about Egypt and how this is great, what they did. And, you know, so we felt a little bit, you know, pride. yeah, pride of what's pride. happening. And, and, and real quick, just to pause here, Egypt is a country of what? How many? 110 less, million people? Less, less than 110, yeah. Yeah, I mean, million. it's a big country. Yeah. You know, in terms of sort of the, the meaner region, it is yeah. the largest in, in terms of uh, of population, population yes it's it's largest yes yeah so what happens in egypt really does impact the entire region of course yeah. of course it started by uh, tunisia if you remember right and then moved to egypt and then uh, moved to syria and then moved to libya and then if you look back at these countries now no one became better but it was a legitimate trial that they want better life, they want better uh, economy, they want better everything. I was going to ask, I mean, you know, now, a little more than a decade later, does it feel different? Uh, not really. Not really. Not really. Yeah. Because what happened is that, you know, Egypt at the end is a country with limited resources. And what happened is actually we lost a lot of money during this period because uh, everything was stopped, no business. So the, the impact on the economy and the impact on Egypt was really hard. No tourism at all, nothing. For example, just to give you an idea so you can understand the impact. So back then when the revolution happened in 2010, uh, one US dollar was for five Egyptian pounds. Today, one US dollar is 30 Egyptian pounds. Oh, wow. So you can see uh, uh, yeah, the impact. Of course, people were getting less paid in Egyptian pounds compared to today, but at the end, the purchasing power of people was much more. Uh, you know, even now, like going with an Uber driver or a taxi driver, they say like back then, we used to do summer with our family, buy clothes every year, and now we can't. So yeah, life became harder, of course, for most of the people yes. due to this. But again, like it was something legitimate they tried to do and they did our best based on their knowledge. And we are not a country that's involved in politics. So people right. don't really understand politics. They just saw that, okay, when the president Mubarak will leave, they will just have a new country and that's it. But they didn't know that that's the beginning, not the end. So what after Mubarak leave? So that's when started the conflict started. Everyone won the power. The people that were reunioned and grouped against something, once this thing happened, they started to get everyone want his own party. Right, like land grab. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can do it. I'll do it. No, yeah, do yeah, it. exactly. And a lot of promises, like uh, someone promising, okay, I'm not going to uh, this election this time, this party, and then they go into the election. And so it started to be a chaos somehow. Yeah. And that's when we learned actually that that's why a revolution needs a leader. And we had a revolution from the people, not from a leader. And that's why it ended up, okay, there is a revolution, but what's next? What's going to happen after that? I can't say that the impact was negative, but it wasn't positive. Okay. I'm- I want to talk more about the economy in the region. You know, so there is a very large swath of Arab speaking nations and people in the MENA region. And yet you have prioritized Egypt first and then the UAE or Saudi. Why not some of these other regions? Why not Jordan? Why not Tunisia? How do you think about the region and the various economies? The region is growing everywhere, not only like if we speak Egypt, yes, right. but not only Egypt, like everywhere is growing. But Saudi and UAE have been stable for a long time now. If I tell you, for example, the US dollar relation with Saudi Riel is 3.5 since 1989. Wow, so it's really been it's, a stable. Yeah, it's stable and it's same for UAE. The GDP per person is very high. 
the purchasing power are really strong. Mm-hmm. So that's why most of the companies are trying to go mainly to GCC and they start mainly by Saudi because the biggest country in, in GCC. But still, depend on the business itself. So we have a lot of startups in Egypt that went to Morocco, that went to Tunisia. It depends on what they are doing. For example, the people that are working for the M-Bank population, they go more towards Morocco and North Africa because people are M-Bank there, similar to Egypt. But, okay. but for people that are working on other products, they prefer going to a stronger market that has big value. More and, consumer spending. Exactly, more. exactly. So also UAE or the Gulf, since long, long time, they had some sort to work there that is different from the rest of the world. So what they had is actually if you want to work in GCC, you need to have a local partner that owns 51% at least okay. of your company. Otherwise, you're not allowed to open in, in this company. And the reason they did that because the country has a lot of money but they want their people to get benefit from this. Like they don't want companies to come make money and leave, especially that right. they didn't have taxes at right. the time. So they wanted their people to get people, benefit from- They don't want people to come in and pillage and leave. Exactly. Yeah. So so they created this concept. So everyone look for a UAE partner, for Saudi partner in order to work. And actually like I, I remember meeting people that has 100 company and 200 company and they are not really doing anything in it. They just have their names and they get paid uh, yearly fees of $30,000, $20,000 so, and they make money out of this. This started to change now with the vision of Saudi and UAE, they now have taxes, small taxes, 5%. They now started to allow companies to be fully owned by right. foreigners, but they pay a little bit more taxes. They started to have a vision on scaling the ecosystem for entrepreneurs. Uh, we started to see a huge VCs that are going there, a lot of funds that are going there. So, of course, everyone is looking at Silicon Valley and, and, and on what's happening here in the US and trying to copy it in their way. So the money is there. The market is big, and then so if everyone is looking to expand. Like for us, how we see it, we see that Egypt is much cheaper. It's a good place to start your business and do the tech side and invest. And then when you're ready, it's time to go somewhere where you can make real money. And what kind of resources are there? Is How do you find the resources you need for your business in Egypt? What's the hiring environment like? We have a lot of resources in Egypt. The problem is not the resource. The problem is that most of them, like let's take it by job. So for example, when we're dealing with hiring of tech resources, we're competing with the world. We're not competing in Egypt. Because we find a lot of uh, developers that are living in Egypt, but working for Germany, working for the US, working for different countries. So when it comes to tech, you are competing on world level. Worldwide. Yeah, worldwide. So you need to pay very well in order to retain them and in order to have the right team. There are other jobs, if we speak about customer service, for example, or we speak about marketing, it's less hard to find people okay. because it, it's a job that's mainly here. It's, you're, not, you're competing with other local right. companies. Local language, local. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But let me tell you like how we do it in Forex. This specifically, we don't count on paying more money. We don't count on trying to take people from other companies. Like this is not the way we do it. We, we believe in building certain culture within the company that make everyone feels ownership, uh, feels happy. So they stay because they want to stay. And, and that's, that's how we started. That's how it, it is today. So to give you an idea today, we are 35 employees. We launched the company in 2018. Since then, only three employees left the company since we started. That's fantastic. Uh, we fired some also, but <laughs> yeah, but people are staying with us, and that's because of the culture we're building. Give you- is everybody based in? Is everybody, do you have any remote employees? I have one in France that's okay. helping us on the media buying side. Okay. I couldn't find the right person till now for the marketing side uh, because I have a certain vision for marketing and people has other vision. Are you in an office or are you virtual right no, now? No, in the office. You're in the office. I prefer this. Like A lot of people want to work remotely, but uh, as I just said, to build the culture I'm looking for, yeah. I need people to be here. Uh, we need to be close to each other. We need to feel like a family. That's uh, very important to be in the office for this reason. 
So it's interesting because, you know, you talk to startups around here, the vast, vast, vast majority of them are remote right now. And we do struggle with that. It's how do you build a culture when you're not with people yeah, live? Yeah, exactly. What's the entrepreneurial community like in Egypt? Are you one and only startup or no. are there a bunch? Yeah. You've raised money from Silicon Valley VCs. Is that unusual? Does that sort of cause attention? Just give us a sense of the okay. entrepreneurial so There is an ecosystem in Egypt that have been built already, and there's a lot of players that act on it. We have seen a lot of startups. So we have seen even a startup from Egypt that has been listed in NASDAQ a few months ago. We have another one also that is already on NASDAQ from a few years. So Do you collaborate together? Th- there are there? ways to collaborate, and there are events that happen. So that we have a similar thing. There is something called Rise Up Summit. So this is happening every year with all startups come and, and meet. We have also some regional events that are happening in Saudi. So yeah, there is a lot of gatherings that happen. There is, for example, an organization called Like-Minded and they actually invite entrepreneurs in bars on drinks and they have a discussions. And so yeah, there is an ecosystem. There is VCs, uh, even the VC that is investing in us in Egypt. We have another VC, it's called right. A15. Yep. And A15 is one of the regional, very strong VCs. They have many dragon exits and this is rare in the region. So there is Sequoia that's investing in Egypt. There is PayPal that's investing in one of our sister companies under the same portfolio of A15. So we have a lot of uh, VCs also the coming from the Western market uh, or from here. Does it feel like the young people when they're graduating from university are increasingly looking to start their own businesses? Yes, and- yes. That's definitely increasing. Like uh, to give you an example, two months ago, I had training done by CIB. CIB is uh, the largest private bank in Egypt. So they asked me to come and do material for students that want to be entrepreneurs. So uh, it's actually sponsored by the bank and they shoot it with me three or four videos where I explained what it meant to be entrepreneurship. How can you be an entrepreneur? What it takes to be an entrepreneur? Yeah. Uh, what are the criteria that needs to be in your personality if you're looking for this? Like we receive now tons of emails for people that want to do internships. They want to see how the pace is within a startup, how things are working. So yeah, it's it's increasing, definitely. That's great. Now, the next stage of this business is that you're going to expand into Saudi Arabia. And how do you go about entering that market? How do you even get visibility there? How do you sort of establish? How do you hire there? What kind of resources will you need? As I said earlier, like they have a vision for Saudi 2030. They changed a lot of things. And one of the things they changed is the laws of how we can open a business there. Can it open by being owned 100% by a foreign company or no? All of this has been uh, done. So you'll set up a subsidiary there, a wholly owned subsidiary? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, that's the plan. But we are related to understand what's happening there. We are very close. Uh, and also with our relation with Amazon and Booking that are already present there, we have information coming from them. So, you know, Amazon is always asking us, go to Saudi, want you there. So uh, having said that, we know that Saudi needs a local partner. If you want to go fast and go big, you need a local partner. Any brand that wants to go big there, they need to link themselves to a local partner. In Saudi, they are really families business and they are well-known families. And if you link yourself to one of these families, that when you can go fast. Otherwise, it's very hard to get noticed. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we are doing now is we are in contact with a partner. We're about to sign the term sheet and hopefully we'll go into a joint venture agreement soon so we can open a subsidiary of Wofer X Inc. here, Delaware, to open the subsidiary in Saudi yep. and co-fund it together and uh, hopefully succeed. Great. <laughs> when, do you it, think there's going to be any sort of you know slight differences in sort of how you market, how what 
services you offer in Saudi versus in Egypt? Is there? Yeah, yeah, I think like well, in Egypt we have the online cashback that started in 2018. Now it's too big. It's growing uh, double digits months over months. We're growing more than 100% year over year. And we have the in-store cashback, which is the offline. We started this right. few months back, so it's still new. We're still validating the concept. I believe that in Saudi, the in-store will grow faster than the online. And the reason for that is that the partner we are talking to now, he already owns 5,000 shops oh. in Saudi. He, he representing uh, big brands. He owns malls and he wants the solution for his brands also within the mall. So I think in Egypt, we have now 120 in-store merchants. In Saudi, I think we will launch with 1,000 merchants wow. in-store. Yeah. Different scale. Yeah. And that's a very important point to understand about our business that it's not only about adding customers. If you add like a, a new merchant that's strong enough, they may generate more revenue from the same customers. And we have seen adding a, a consumer electronics well-known brand helped us increase our revenue by 15%. Wow. You can grow by 15% by adding customers only. So, and, and that's why I believe like the merchants count that you have and the service you represent is what will actually dictate your growth. And then what will be the catalyst for you then to do UAE? What do you need to see and what do you think the timing will be for you to kind of branch out there? Now we, we understand how this business work and we understand how it looks at the beginning and how it looks now. So as soon as we see a few months from Saudi's work based on our experience, we can predict what's going to happen there. So we, we are planning to launch in Saudi, soft launching at the beginning. We're not going to invest a huge amount. We, we want to test this market. So we'll just, as I said, open a subsidiary. Yeah. Uh, we'll inject a smaller amount of money, maybe two, three million dollars, and we'll start the journey. And based on the feedback we'll see from the first three, four months, we're planning to go and fundraise by end of this year. And, and based on the numbers of Saudi, we'll see what's the valuation of the company will worth, because what will Saudi will be in one year. Right. And this will dictate if we're going also to UAE or if we'll keep now focusing on these two markets. I remember you also asked me about hiring in Saudi. Yeah. So yeah, hiring in Saudi, it's not that complicated. There are a lot of talents there and a lot of also foreigner employees, a lot of Egyptian living there. So the, the way we see it, we want customer service from Saudi because we want people serving with the same language, well, understanding yeah, same each other's culture yeah. and, and so on. But for example, the tech side, we remain in Egypt. M most of, of the main jobs we remain uh, from Egypt at this time. We will only use copywriting and customer service and the thing that needs to be localized to Saudi market. We will do this at the beginning. Till we're Okay, like comfort with the numbers, comfort with what can be built there. And then we'll start adding C-level uh, employees step by step. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you're sort of now several years into this business. And uh, we talked about, you know, how you saw this business working in the States and you thought you could bring it to Egypt and localize it, but sort of essentially mimic that business. It has evolved beyond that now. And it'd be helpful to just sort of hear, you know, how is it different today than, than where you thought it was going to be when you first started. And what do you think are some of the reasons that it's evolved in that direction? Of course, yes, the idea we're taking from Ebates, but the, the market itself is changing things in the idea. Yeah. So for example, to give you uh, things that are different, for example, we have cashback on bills. This is something that weren't at Ebates. So if you want right. to pay your bill, you can pay your bill and get cashback on this. If you want to pay for the internet, if you want to pay for the electricity, if you want to pay for your mobile phone invoice and so on, so you can get cashback on this. So what we're trying to do basically is uh, including more services where the retailers or the sellers of these business need help in collection, need helps in, in promoting the service. So if we find this, then there is a room for cooperation. For example, the in-store cashback here in the US worked on something called card link services where they track everything from the card. This is something right. we don't have in Egypt till now, like it's MasterCard and Visa. Economy, is that 
It's changing, but it's mostly cash economy. And also, like Visa and MasterCard don't grant the same technology they are granting here for these services. Right. It needs some cybersecurity insurance and things that are not easy to get in Egypt as we speak. So we, we changed this and tweaked it in a different way where people need to scan their POS receipt so you can see the card number, the mm-hmm. last four digits, and validate that the customer did the purchase with the right card, and then they allocate the cash back. So we're changing the technology, how it works. We're changing what services we can offer cash back on. For example, we launched a partnership with a bank where we allowed them to have an app from X version co-branded with the logo of the bank with higher cashback rates, for example. So like, why this happened? Because the country now is working on financial inclusion and banks want people to use more cards. So mm. we found here a room that we can have a role here. We can help people if they pay with cards, they get more cashback versus if they paid in cash. Mm. So you see what I mean? Like the idea is the same, but the market is different. Right. So there are different ideas that comes out of this. Now, for example, we're in discussion regarding the buy now, pay later with another bank. You want to use our app to grant people limits and, and so on. So yeah, we, we have now the, the vehicle uh, that's Waforex and we see on our way what other people may jump with us and, in right. our vehicle and how can we serve them always based on a win-win situation. We never charge any set of fees. We always prefer the, the performance model that we, we count on till now. And, and this is, yeah, missions love that. We we love it. We It also ease us from any commitments when it comes like, for example, there's a company we're not sure if it's going to do well or no or on Waforex. So it's still we can work with them because we not charge them anything uh, in advance. Anyway, so I would kind of characterize what you're doing. Maybe it's marketing tech. Maybe it's fintech. Maybe it's kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. Is that the genre that you're seeing most of the kind of local startups pursuing? Is it mostly in sort of marketing services, fintech services? Fintech is is really trending now. Yeah, fintech mainly. So payments companies are in a boom. Buy now, pay later are in a boom. We found also there's a boom for VCs, uh, funds, and, and even there's we started to see debt funds. This is something we didn't have before instead of equity. But like e-commerce was the, the top thing that's collecting money till maybe 2018. Uh-huh. And starting 2018 till now, it's the fintech era where fintechs are getting uh, most of the funds. Also, distribution is one of the things that uh, are doing uh, really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, delivery and uh, the delivery B2C and delivery also B2B is growing very fast in Egypt. Transportation also is doing well. So we have Swivel, like someone that doing the Uber model, but for buses and this succeed. Swivel? Yeah, yeah, Swivel. This is NASDAQ uh, now. Yep. And they did very, very well. They even Uber canceled Uber bus because of Swivel. They couldn't compete uh, on this. Educational tech now is growing very fast. But if you speak about like who collected the most of the money, yeah. <laughs> so we speak about fintech come first, then distribution comes second. You know, my experience with sort of other geographies that have catalyzed startup communities, a lot of that happens around the university systems. You know, certainly here in Silicon Valley, it was sparked by Cal and Stanford. But you, know, you look in Boston, it's the Harvards, the MITs, the Boston universities. You know, there's some amazing schools in and around Egypt and Cairo in particular. Is that where you're seeing kind of this next generation of entrepreneurship come out of? Is it also localized around the schools or is it is it broader? Is it different? It is the same idea, yeah. But yeah, as you said, like a place where we see a lot of entrepreneurs yeah. coming from uh, the American University in Cairo. But uh, yeah, it's not limited to certain universities. Same applies for the Cairo University. Same applies for another university in Cairo called Enchamps University. Enchamps. Uh, a lot of private universities also are, are doing very well. Most of the universities now have partnerships with universities from abroad, from France from England, from other countries, and they bring prop from there to, to help in, in the education cycle. So yeah, it, it's going in this direction, but also 
a lot of entrepreneurs travel, did their master abroad after finishing the university, they travel, they do their masters and a lot of them are, uh, you know, like they, they are maybe not educated in top, top notch schools, but they have the mentality and, and, and yeah. I think that's, that's the most important. Of course, being well educated is important, but the mentality of being entrepreneurship is needed. You may be graduated from Harvard, but you don't have the mentality, you will not be able to do it. It's not, uh, you know, one recipe for everyone, but at the end, you need to have at least the courage and the passion on building something, yes. you know, like if you don't have this, even if you're graduated from any school, I think the, the mission is really hard. And this is the core of this podcast. I started it with the goal of trying to figure out what are those key ingredients that sort of drive entrepreneurial yeah. success. And so that's a great place to sort of finish our conversation around, which is, you know, you talk about courage. And I love that you said that because when I explain entrepreneurship, I think that's the very first word that jumps to mind. What a courageous journey you're embarking on to sort of start something with no certainty about where it's going. And oftentimes, at least in the early stages, is relying entirely upon yourself. Yeah. So it does take that. And for you as, you know, where did that come from? Where did you get this sort of drive and this courage to okay. step out and do something? I mean, contact Kevin and then sort of take the ideas from Ken and, and put them in motion. Where does that come from? By the way, I'm going to pause there just for a sec. So when Kevin introduced X to us, he said, look, I have seen dozens upon dozens of young people reach out to me and say, I want to do the Ebates of... And he's like, I try to respond to all of them most of the time with a no thank you. Um, and this guy contacted me. He was very tactful. I did what I always do, which was sort of deflect it a little bit and toss it over to Ken. And Ken had time and interest and somehow was impressed enough by you that he wanted to spend time. And then two years later, you come back to Kevin. And you say, okay, this is what you told me to do. This is exactly what I did. And he said that you were the only person that was able to do that and not only did what he was outlined, but did it better. Um, so, so good job. That's uh, yeah, thank you. Thank for you. For those that are listening. I want to tell you that when I, I, um, I reached out to Kevin the second time, you know, the business is new in Egypt. No one knew about it. So it has a right. different unit of economics that no one understands it. So, right. and they're trying to compare it to other businesses that doesn't match what we're doing. So when I reached out to Kevin, I said, okay, I just want you to look at my numbers and tell me if this is good or no. I, I was even suspecting if this is good or no. I need, right. I, I said, Kevin, I even, I told my co-founder Mahmoud at the time, I will speak to Kevin tomorrow. Finally, if he said, this is good, it means it's good because he understands the business and we need to keep fighting if he said this is not good we need to understand that we're not in the right direction and see what can we do and then i went on a call with kevin i showed him the numbers i shared it with him and then he came back to me he told me you are doing great that's even better than, than what we had at early days in, right. in ebates right and that's when i started to feel okay then we're doing good we, we got keep, something here yeah we keep fighting we should keep fighting but yeah. so so what was the and and also to give you something that the, the day uh, when, when we announced uh, even before announced the fundraising a lot of VCs reached out back to, to, to us and say, okay, leave us a room in this. Uh, I remember even with Kevin, he said, no, we don't want any more. But we have a lot of VCs saying, give us 1%, give us 2% from the first, so we, we can be with you on the next round. Yes. So like, you know, it's things changed from, we're trying to convince them that this is good. That to knowing they, you had something yeah, good. To, to, yeah, exactly. So, but, but, okay, so now getting back to my question, what do you think it is as that sort of influenced you or motivated you to sort of even 
you know, take this courageous step forward. Okay, let me tell you here a few things. So first of all, when I graduated from law school and I went to Dubai, my father was so happy from what I'm doing. And then when I decided to go back to Egypt and work in cosmetics, he was in a shock. Why you do this? You were working nail polish. You know, he was trying, you know, to take it this uh, direction. Yeah. And then when I succeeded in this, uh, he was uh, again proud. And then when I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop this now and doing Waffle X, he was so, are you crazy? After building all this, are you going to leave this and do something new? So he was also against me. And then now also he's seeing what I'm doing is still again yeah, proud. Yeah, yeah. So I won't say that the courage comes from the vision. So if you believe in something, so and if you believe in what you do, that's what gives you the courage to do it. I, of course, I had the opportunity to see a lot of entrepreneurs coming from France and doing things. I learned a lot from them and from their passion about their products and what they're building. But again, like when I decided to do the cosmetics companies, because I saw there is a gap in the market, I was right. confident that there's something, and that was give me the courage to take the step and do it. And at that time, it was a traditional business. So you make profits every year. It's not something that keep uh, you know losing money and account on fundraising. But it's interesting because you your dad was not in business. He was in the military. Military yeah. and your mom, I guess she was in business, yeah, but really raising you guys. So, like, how did you even know that there was an opportunity in the market? How did you even sort of have the confidence that you could fill that market profitably? Yeah. Like, I always had this courage, don't ask me why, but like it's a part of my personality. So I always had this courage of trying things, even when it comes to food. I remember being so young, I want to try everything. I remember like the first time uh, to have oysters, like my sister, you know, they want to, and I wanted to try this now, you know, so I always have this uh, mindset. But also in Dubai, I had a certain exposure, then went back to Egypt. There is someone who helped me, which is the big pharmacy who told me there's a gap here, help us doing this. I created for them the project. They didn't do it because of revolution, so I did it because I know there is a gap I studied well yeah. they already gave me a lot of information so I started it and then again by, by working in Egypt for several years on this business so I gained more experience I understood more the market I did a lot of contacts in the local market yeah. so uh, w- when I decided to do a forex I know the culture I understand what Ebates is doing exactly. I see it. it. There is a fit for this in the Egyptian market, and I feel it. Yep. So, um, and as I told you, even my co-founder, he was my co-founder of the last company. He was hesitating, like, shall we do this now? Shall we you know, throw everything we did and start from scratch? And I'm always focused that, yes, we should do this yeah. now. And now everyone is happy with this. I'm, I'm also happy. I, I couldn't guarantee that we'll uh, reach this level. But uh, I'm always saying this to my uh, co-founders, that I'm not the same person a few years ago. So even if this didn't succeed for any reason, we became better. We learned a lot. Yeah. We are not the same person. So yeah, it's, you're learning daily new things, new tasks. And this is what makes us what, who we are today. So in, in my opinion, uh, like courage is very important. Something else is very important is digging and digging more and more in the problem. Because I've seen this a lot, that people are always trying to buy the solution from the supermarket. And this will never help you to solve the, the problem you're working on. Because when you dig is when you learn, is when you understand the problem. And in this case, even if you are going to hire someone, you know how to discuss it with him because you dig yes. more but if you from the very beginning as soon as you see a problem you just hire someone for it so you will not understand the problem well so you will not be able to manage the discussion with him and make him go into the direction and the culture you are looking for yeah i mean what i'm hearing there is it's a combination of both tenacity and curiosity the tenacity to sort of look and look and look and keep looking until you sort of uncover absolutely everything and the curiosity to know this is the direction I need to be looking. Um, yes. And I want to learn more. And it's, I can tell you're having fun with what you're doing. Yeah, really. We're having fun working with you. Um, thank you. So, as thank you so much for joining. I and really I enjoyed wait. it. I hope it, uh, you, you did as well. And thank you so much for having me today. Fantastic job. This has been The Fabric. 
a podcast by Lobby Capital. Make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming episodes and content. I'm Buddy Arnheim, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you.